You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. How's it going? It's going just fine. That's pretty good in my opinion. It is pretty good. I've said it many times. I think just fine is excellent. (laughs) People expect more, expect too much. Uh, No, I mean, life is just grand. Yeah. Love to hear it. Took a nice walk this morning. Hmm. Soaked in the. It's a, it's a muggy. It's a muggy walk, huh? <gasps> Actually, I thought it felt pretty good earlier this morning. Uh, so it was a little uh, cooler, yeah. little pre-sun, super high in the sky kind of walk, yeah, you know. Okay. But I took this walk at the Bridgeport Park, the one behind the high school. Hmm, okay. Yeah. And oh boy, I didn't realize that they were trying to create an obstacle course there. Oh, what? That's a little joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there was a. Uh, tree down across the walking path. I mean, a huge honking tree just <laughs> fell down. Do you think it was recent? Like I presume the... it was from the, as of this recording, storm we had last yeah. night. I presume. Wild. But boy, was it down. It was It was there. You could not get around it. You had to <laughs> go under, over. Whoa. I guess you could technically go around what, it. That what was, was your method? It you went I went over? under. Whoa. Under. That's the opposite It was I that, I mean, it's that big and it was that, you know, you could you could go under it. You could crouch underneath it. And that is intense. It is intense. I was just thinking, man, it's a good thing no one was out walking in that neck of the woods <laughs> last night or anything, if that's True. what would happen, because, mm. oh boy. The thunder... Rattled my house. It was crazy. A couple times. Wasn't it? I was like, oh boy. Yeah. Didn't lose power. We have had two thunderstorms recently that have been among the most crazy yeah. I have seen in my life. I think probably for me as well. I actually think the one that, again, as of this recording, this past Thursday, a week mm-hmm. ago today, I have never seen lightning like that in the sky ever. Oh, wow. It was crazy. Wow. I'm talking multiple bursts of it at the same time and multiple arms. Like, I, you, it was illuminating the earth. That's very cool. I slightly frightening. Was, I was becoming <laughs> afraid. I was driving. I was like, Ooh, oh, and yeah. you know, the sky was starting to get this like strange kind of green yeah. tinge. Oh, you know no. what I'm talking about? Oh, I thought, no. this is potentially going to be bad. I remember it was like the last time I went to the theater it honestly seemed just the tinge of everything made it appear like it's almost like an orange lightning in the sky. Ooh. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's see. <laughs> let's see if the theater has power halfway through the movie. <laughs> That's always fun. It is. I do like it? storms. I do Me like too. storms right up until I am personally inconvenienced <laughs> by like flooding in the yard or loss of power or literally anything. Oh, but just yes. from, as a spectator sport, I'm all about it. Yes, yes. Sitting on the porch and... Hearing it come in, the rain pattering against it's the nice. roof and the windows. I like that. Thunder lightning. Yeah, it is. It is nice. That's also when Martin Luther basically, you know, got saved. I don't know. That might be putting it strongly. <laughs> Martin Luther was caught out in a field in the open during a massive thunderstorm. Oh, wow. Okay. On his way back to law school. And he thought he was going to die. So he cried out to St. Anne and said, if you save me, I'll become a monk. And he did. And wow. now here we are, 500 years later. Man of his word. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta give him credit for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True that. So, yeah. Anyway, storms, man. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Wow. You know what else causes storms of controversy from time to time? Oh, do tell. The use of the civil law in the Old Testament. Wow. <laughs> I never would have guessed. <laughs> Uh, right before we started recording, and we told Zach what we we're going to be talking about. He even made a joke about "Don't talk about my tattoos" and stuff. Yep. And we're not we're we're not going to talk about the tattoos of the man who is sometimes affectionately called Tattoo Boy. <laughs> Amazing. 
No. So on this note, I was talking with someone recently and was reminded once again of how difficult the Old Testament law is when it comes to reading the Bible. It really does legitimately cause controversies for people and difficulties and concerns. And we've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but we've never specifically broached the way that the civil law of Israel as a nation in particular can serve as part of Christian scripture for the church across time and space, right? Because it's just not a topic that it's not. Is it, you know, tends to excite That's or anything like that. That's also fair to say. Yeah. And of course, when I refer to civil law, just so I'm making sure that we're all on the same page here, that we're all understanding one another, I'm referring to the commands and codes that pertain directly to Israel's civil life as a political kingdom Hmm. in the ancient Near East. See, up until this moment, I thought we were going to talk about law and order BC. (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) One nation has to figure out how to sacrifice animals (laughs) properly. These are their stories. I wonder what instruments they would use for that. I like, I like to think. <gasps> oh. For example, we have the regulations concerning Israel's kings, okay? Well, since Israel is no longer a theocratic kingdom, mm. nor are we even citizens of Israel. No. You could easily be tempted to skip over passages like Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, which outlines those kingly regulations. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and rush to a conclusion that I am almost certain we're going to disprove. That's <laughs> basically why we're here. Um, but, but I do think it's like, it is exactly the kind of thing I dismiss with at least some ease. Sure. Like, maybe there are parallels to us, you know, to find and think like, oh, that that could actually be incredibly helpful. But it, I mean, it, it's still it's still tempting to say like, yeah, that was a cultural thing. It doesn't exactly pertain to me. Yeah. I'm, no, I I'm totally get it. not the king. I'm not yeah. the king. Totally get it. Because the typical thing we say about the civil law when we're reading through Exodus or Leviticus or Deuteronomy is that it simply doesn't apply to us as Christians living wherever we happen to live. That's a, that's a much clearer way to say what I <laughs> meandered through. Yes. Uh, and I myself have said things similar to that on several occasions, to be fair. Sure. You know? I'm sure I have. But where we and I too, yes, I must confess, given what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm where we have probably not been clear on this subject is in saying how it doesn't apply. Mm. Do, do you follow me? You know oh. what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> as a really clear statement was all those negatives and <laughs> what am um, I British? Are double negatives? What are we kind of like essentially like threading the needle in a bit of yes and it applies, but also eh, but kind of only in a fashion in a particular way of speaking? Yes, and I think even the word application, to be fair, uh, can. Uh. Because we have a very specified idea of what the word application means. Exactly. So even that word can be tricky. But yes, it is sort of a, oh yeah, you're not lifting this code straight away and saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to pretend I'm a king and I'm <laughs> going to live as such. So yeah, when, when I'm talking about this, when I say, oh yeah, the civil law doesn't apply to Christians. What I have typically meant by that, if I've said it that crassly and that straightforwardly, I would mean that the civil law in the Old Testament as such doesn't apply to us anymore, right? Because, I mean, again, Israel doesn't have a monarchy. They don't have a temple anymore. We don't live in Israel, etc. But the civil law does still provide helpful instruction and principles for the church. And therein, the civil law does still, quote unquote, apply 
if you want to use the term apply that way. Mm, okay. Maybe it would be more helpful to think of the way Paul put it when he wrote in Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days, includes all of the civil law in the Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Yeah, taking that into account, and, and even what you said earlier, I am left wondering if apply is the, the best word. Yeah. I mean, in, by all means, push back, but... Um... No, I've already undermined my own <laughs> use of the word apply, so... <laughs> well, I mean, I was, I was happy to hear that. I'm like, ah, convenient. <laughs> but, like, if all of these conditions, like where we live and who we are and where's the temple, where's the king, if all these don't really line up, it feels like a steeper challenge to find how they quote-unquote apply rather than, like, maybe just finding what can be gleaned, what can we pick up from this. At the same time, though, I'm iffy because the first half of what Paul said feels a bit more like direct application when he sure. says our instruction. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, we're plugging things right in here in some way. Yeah. But the rest of it feels a little looser to me, feels yeah. more like the argument of, like, well, these things might not exactly precisely be the same, but we can still find hope and encouragement in them. Yes, and I actually think that brings up a great point. So with the word application even, I think we have a very narrow idea that it applies to some sort of concrete embodied action step that you would take. right? Yeah. But typically across church history, application was viewed in at least three different ways. You had that sort of application, which was sort of this like, we would call it like behavioral application, right? That's what we think of there. But they would also talk about cognitive and affective, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-E-V-E, application. And that would refer to, so like here when he says that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope would be an affective application. So it's like not like you're, you know, it's not this directly related to here's a behavior you were doing, stop doing it and do this instead. It has to do with an affect, an emotion or cognitive, the way you think about something. Yeah. So you have different range there. I actually think that's super helpful. Mm-hmm. I wish we, wait, I wish we used that a little bit more often. <laughs> Maybe I, we need to do a <laughs> podcast episode on that. <laughs> Another word that came to mind is, and it, this could maybe have its own baggage that I'm not thinking of, but like rather than saying it still applies, maybe it, it still has relevance to us. It is not yeah. a direct application as we're used to saying, but it has relevance to us in a way that, ha- you know, like you said, it's an affective kind of application. Even I still, I feel like relevance is an affective relevance to us. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I find that helpful in those kinds of discussions. Yeah. At any rate, the question for us then is however we define it. If we're saying it's it still applies, it's still relevant, mm. whatever it is, the question is how? Like, what does that look like? <laughs> how do we do this? Yes. How should we read the civil law responsibly as Christians living in the 21st century in America? Um, well, the apostles is always our, our best guides here. You just can't yeah. go better than how they read it. So we can take 1 Corinthians 9, for example. In the first part of that chapter, Paul is talking about the right that ministers of the gospel have to be paid for their work. He's like saying this is something that they're entitled is, it sounds like a negative word, but like, no, like if they're working hard and devoting themselves, like, yeah, like they should be compensated for their labor. Now, what's very interesting to me about this passage is that he appeals to the civil law in order to prove that point. (laughs) When he could have gone any other number of directions. Sure. But he chooses to use an instruction from Israel's civil law to make that point. So here's what we read in verses 8 through 12. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? 
it was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So the reference to not muzzling the ox when it treads the grain comes from a section of civil law in Deuteronomy 25. Okay? He says, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading grain. Mm-hmm. Just like he said there, pretty straightforward. But here... Paul is applying it not as a civil law to Israel, but as a sort of civil law for the church, so to speak. I think he does this in a way that is that is pretty clear, despite my mm-hmm. earlier misgivings. <laughs> and I, I feel like he, he demonstrates how it applies without much room to raise those early arguments. Right, exactly. He shows the continuing relevance of the underlying principle, kind of like what you pointed out earlier there. Yeah. Because you notice how he argues this point. God made provision in Israel's law to make sure that the ox was taken care of, right? That So like when the ox is working hard, he's out there threshing the grain, he's pulling that cart behind him. He should be able to eat a little bit while he's working. Sure. You know, don't muzzle him so that he can't eat while he's doing that. Now, the point is, is if God cared enough about an ox to include provisions for it in his divine law. Like, you ever stop and think about that? God in sacred law that proceeded from his mouth made a provision for an ox. Even though that ox is not made in his image, right? It is a brute beast. Then how much more do you think he cares for human beings who are made in his image when they are working, right? It's funny because like it is a, first of all, amazing to just kind of see like, oh, isn't that wild? Yeah. But on the other hand, I said A and I'm going to say B. (laughs) I'm going to stick with the theme there. In some ways, it's also not surprising because it seems like that that is so in character for the same God who is yeah. aware of every sparrow. You yes, know what I mean? exactly. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna go back to the Gospels for that reference, it's like it right. feels that feels super in character. Yes, yes, it does. And I think we tend to miss stuff like that. Like we yeah. just we would breeze right through them. Like oh, it doesn't apply. But like there is so much you could just get from reading that verse. Yeah. So anyway, all that is to say, if the ox can't be muzzled in order that it may be permitted to eat while it threshes grain in the field of man, we can argue from the lesser to the greater, which Paul does all the time. See this all over his letters. How much more should a pastor receive wages if he's working hard in the field of God? Interesting point, pastor. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's awkward when the pastor is like reading these things like, (laughs) so you know, anyway, no, I say the church, they take, takes wonderful care of me and very grateful for that. But I do, all that aside, I use this as an example because I find it so fascinating because, like I said earlier, Paul could just as easily have appealed to the provision made for the Levitical priests in the law, Hmm. right? They were to be allotted provisions they could continue their ministerial work without having to worry about other concerns, right? Like God wanted them focused full time on doing the work of the temple tabernacle ministry. So make provisions for them. Like that might be a more parallel example. Yes, right? (laughs) Yeah, like that's a lot easier, you know, just, hey, you know, flip that directly over. Yeah. But instead, you know, it's hard to imagine Paul not doing this on purpose, you know, he's deftly demonstrating the continuing relevance and instruction of the civil law in the life of the church. Mm. And I think that's just brilliant. Here's the thing that actually I appreciate so much about this is that he did the hard work and it's in scripture already. Yeah. Like we get to sit here and say, look at that. Mm-hmm. It's in scripture. He, yeah. He figured it out. Like he took something particular to a time and place, being the ox, mm-hmm. and brought that principle to an application. Ha <laughs> uh, <laughs> To a point, like, beyond the confines of that time and that place. Yeah. It's essentially evergreen now, which, for me, that's a lot easier to trust when Paul does it. And it's already in the canon of scripture, more so than, like, when David Koresh tries it. (laughs) I'm less excited when people like David Koresh try to do this. 
oh yes that is um that is completely fair and appreciated which yeah so the key then there is to identify an underlying principle that a civil law is embodying that then also finds a correspondence in the new testament exactly. in the canon as a whole yeah you know david koresh when you're reading his stuff it's like dude <laughs> There's no way that <laughs> We're just when you take writing. the whole, yeah, like when we take the whole Bible <laughs> into account, there's no way. Like you are out of bounds, which is how cults get started, right? Exactly. You come out of the bounds of the canon. You go out of the bounds of the great tradition of the church. And the other piece of good news about this is that a lot of folks have done the hard work of doing yeah. the rest of this for us too. You know, sure. like you're not out here on your own trying to figure this out. You <laughs> I can would not want to do that. You know own. what I mean? Yeah. But like, so just take another example. In Exodus 23 and Leviticus 25, right? We read about how God made provision for the land to have rest from being worked, which is also very interesting to me, right? I can understand the part of that where he would be making provision for, say, farmers and laborers to be Mm -hmm. like, rest. But the thing is, is that he already gave them a Sabbath, okay? You already have that. And then when you read in those passages, he specifically says it's so that the land may lie fallow and there were no seeds to be sown or vineyards to be pruned. So like, there's a sense in which this is care for the land. Yeah. It's care for God's creation. It's exactly. Stewardship. It's another time we're seeing provision for yeah, creation like, itself. That's crazy. Yeah. And here's the thing about that to me. If God provided that kind of care for physical earth, it's dirt. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't have sentience. All right. Like there, there's not even, you know, we're not talking about like the Google AI thing or anything like that. Right. Like none of, we're not even talking about that. Right. It's dirt. It's dirt. You could dig your fingernails underneath it today. So if he cares about that enough to provide a whole year for it in his law mm-hmm. where it's not supposed to be worked again, how much more do you think he cares for the workers themselves? Sure. And that is why, for instance, at Horizons, we offer sabbaticals to our pastors. There's no explicit command to offer a sabbatical to a pastor, but we see a principle for it in the civil law of Israel. Okay, yeah. And I would be willing to argue that, you know, if the whole world followed these sorts of principles, you know, you would have much happier workers and much healthier businesses. But the secular world is not so concerned about some of those things. But all that is to say, hopefully, this can cue us up to read the civil law as Christian scripture. Because I think Sometimes without realizing it, we don't read it that way. We treat it as sort of this inferior form of revelation. Yeah. Whereas, no, it's it's Christian scripture. It was written, as Paul said, for our instruction, so that through its encouragement, we might have endurance and hope. Very so, good point. Yeah, there Very we go. Good point. So when you're reading that again in your Bible reading plan, you can hopefully find some helpful resources and <laughs> yeah. think through that and glean new riches and applications. <laughs> uh, well, at any rate... Thank you, as always, for listening. If you have any questions on this or any other topic, as always, feel free to email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. And if you want to leave us an honest five-star review on that Apple podcast platform, there's no law telling you you have to, but, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, right? You know, uh, maybe. That's becoming there. greater to the lesser. <laughs> yeah, that's that it. Yes, it, it is. It definitely is. <laughs> Pretend I said nothing. <laughs> oh. No, thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.